Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports. Myself, Ryan Drury. I'll be joined by Steve Sabrin and Clarky, and we will be joined by friend of the show, Rob Longley, the Blue Jays columnist for the Toronto Sun, to talk about the Jays season so far, some standout performances, but mostly troubles with the bullpen. What can the Jays do to improve this? Will they target somebody in a trade as trade deadline approaches this July? We'll also chat a little bit about the ongoing Stanley Cup playoffs and some serious allegations against the Chicago Blackhawks organization. And finally, at the end, we'll be joined by our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet to talk about some hot bets to make this weekend. You're listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury alongside Clarky and Steve Sabrin. Very pleased to be joined by friend of the show and a recurring special guest, Rob Longley, the Blue Jays columnist and reporter for the Toronto Sun. Rob, how you doing? Good. Good to be back, guys. Talk Lots to talk about in baseball these days, man. Holy moly. Boy, there sure is. Uh, we'll, we'll get to sticky stuff and spider tack and all that good stuff later. Let's talk about the team you cover. Obviously, the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, a lot of people around here have a vested interest in how well this team is doing or not doing at times. Boy, the bats look really impressive, but uh, the bullpen has become the story of this team's season right now past what Vlad is doing to baseballs. It's the bullpen. In your estimation, what is it that's going wrong for the Jays there? Uh, How soon do they need to make a trade? Um, And just your overall impression of the team's performance so far through almost three months. Yeah, no easy answer to what's going on with the bullpen, really. I mean, first off, they lost three of their better arms due to injury, starting right through at spring training when they lost uh, Kirby Yates, who would have been the closer. Um, And then, you know, the guys that were there, they pretty much overachieved in April and May, and they probably came back closer to uh, what their actual performance level should have been expected to be. And now they just can't can't get out in high-leverage situations. I mean... We're seeing guys getting walked in for runs with the bases loaded. We're seeing wild pitches. We're seeing batters hit. And I mean, it's almost to the point where if the starting pitcher hits the sixth inning and the pitch count hits 90, it's like, oh man, how are they going to blow it tonight? I mean, for their last six games, they've, they've uh, lost a lead in the seventh inning or later. And until they get some help, I mean, I think we're going to see more of that, but that's the issue. Like, where's the help going to come from? Um, they're not going to make a like a, a rash trade at this point because they're not going to give up a ton of prospects or any important uh, roster player this early, uh, this far away from the trade deadline. So, I mean, it's almost like they're throwing these guys in there and hoping that they find some form until we get to the last week in July where general manager Ross Atkins can maybe make a trade. He'll make a trade of some sort to, to show up the pitching core, but shore up the pitching core, but um, will it be too late? I mean, and I think that's a fair question. You know, teams in baseball, it, it's a roller coaster. It's a long season. Yeah, yeah, we hear that all the time. But this team's back to 500 again. They're 33 and 33 before uh, the, this Thursday night game against the New York Yankees. And yeah, they have 19 games left against the Baltimore Orioles, but you still have to get 27 outs a night. And I'm not sure exactly how they're going to do that. Rob, this seems like um, it would be like a, a wonderland for my old uh, host, Bob McCowan, doing Jay's talk after games with all the uh, blown saves and blown leads and everything else. And just some of the base running mistakes, some of the fielding mistakes. We saw Stripling um, tear a strip off Joe Panic yesterday. Um, was Do you think it's a boiling point? Like, do you think that the team is getting frustrated? Um, and what can be done about that? Yeah, we never know unless we're behind the closed doors how frustrated they are. But I I can't see any way where they're not frustrated at this point because they know that they're a much better team. They know that they're a team that can put up a dozen runs a night. And they put up 18 in Boston on the weekend. But it doesn't matter if 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 you're going to continue to to lose games the way that they've been losing them. And I think, think, Clarky, you hit on an underrated uh, flaw in this team. you know, an off-season priority was to get better defensively, and I think they have gotten a little bit better defensively. But in at least three of those four most recent losses, we've seen defensive miscues. Uh, third base is a disaster now. It doesn't matter who they have over there, whether it's mm-hmm. Kevin Biggio or whether it's Santiago Espinal is a little bit better, but he's a guy who's going to shuffle between 
AAA in the majors anyway. And Joe Panic struggled over there last night, uh, which caused a little bit of an incident, as you alluded to, with <laughs> the uh, with Ross Stripling, the starting pitcher, having a bit of a, a, a tantrum on the mound, which you don't really do. He shouldn't have done it. No. But I guess that's where the frustration is. You know, um, we've seen the tight shots of. Uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the dugout after after a couple of these uh, really disheartening losses. And and you wonder when, you know, if a young group like this will start to lose a little bit of confidence if, you know, if they realize that the offense isn't going to be enough to, to carry it, if, if, if pitching is going to continually let them down um, and they get further and further away from first place in the American League, League East. And now the wild card is a bit of an issue, too. Again, they're going to go on a bit of a roll at, at some point during the season. But if you followed them from start to finish, they've never been better than four games above 100, 500, and they've never been worse than three games below 500. Typically, they're within two games of either side of it. So essentially, they're a 500 baseball team, and that's not going to do it in the American League East. You know what? It's interesting uh, talking about confidence. There's also a consistency because um, – and I'm going to play a little bit of history here. Like when I grew up watching the Jays in the nineties, you knew Robbie was going to play second. You knew Joel was in, uh, you know, right field. You knew Devon white was in center. Now you've got a rotating defense. Like it really, um, you, night in night out you don't know who's where or doing what the order is always shifting. That's got to play on a consistency issue for players as well. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, baseball operations will tell you that that's by design. I mean, they place a premium on, on versatility, guys that can play multiple positions. And that's all well and good if you need a guy in, in a quasi-emergency situation to move from second to short or second to third or third to right field. But when you're continually trotting out a different lineup uh, every night, um, I, can't, I can't see how that's a comfortable feeling for guys. We've seen it with Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's become an everyday first baseman and playing like an everyday first baseman. And why do you think that is? It's because he's there every day. I mean, he's, he's, he's comfortable over there, but third base, as I mentioned earlier, it's become sort of the black hole of the defense. And it's because they have different guys there every day. Uh, Bo Bichette, I mean, they're determined to stick with him as the shortstop, but man, oh man, he doesn't, he doesn't look sharp there day to day either. Um, their best infielder is, is Marcus Semyon and, you know, they refuse to move him over to shortstop, which is where he should be. Um, stubbornly, for, for whatever reason, I suppose they don't want to uh, rub Bichette uh, or his agent the wrong way because eventually they're, they're going to want to sign him to a long-term deal and he's the shortstop of the future and Semyon's only here for one year. But guys moving around like this all the time, yeah, I, I think it really hampers the defensive consistency and, and we're starting to see a, a cost with that. So is Charlie the right guy? Is he going to last, do you think? It'll be interesting to see how they handle that. I mean, maybe to a flaw on my part, I've, I've mostly been a, a Charlie Montoyo a supporter. Um, I don't hang a whole lot of what's happened on him because I firmly believe that a lot of the in-game decisions are basically made in advance. I mean, by a computer, what to do, by the front office, by by the general manager, by the base, by the base baseball operations department. Now, now, if he was John Gibbons and and was given instructions prior to the game and and uh, on how to do things. Gibbons would have just ripped it, ripped, ripped it out of his book and thrown it in the garbage. But Charlie Montoyo is a guy who spent, uh, you know, the, uh, the the vast majority of the, of the last two decades uh, working as a, a minor league manager and then a third base coach in Tampa. And this was his one opportunity, his first opportunity to become a major league manager. And it came at, at a came at a cost. It came at, at, uh, with him having to be a little bit of a puppet to to the front office, uh, which is somewhat the way of the world in, in baseball. Now. Yeah. The old school yeah. manager is kind of being faded well, away. And, and Rob, we're seeing it in hockey too. I think with yeah. uh, with Bergevin in Montreal and Billy Idol behind the behind the bench. Yeah, and it's it's you know it's too bad because you can't make why can't you make a, a, the odd decision anyway on instinct? And I think you know a lot of people would like to see that. That come from Montoyo. The classic example was the other night when uh, when he put Dolise in, in in the ninth inning in a tie game, and uh, when he probably should have put his best man in there, Romano, and and that was it. The game was over. He now he justified it afterwards, but I mean, I think his justific justification came from uh, basically what his instructions were on how to handle that situation. So you'd like to see him manage with his. But before I'm too critical of of Charlie Montoyo as a manager. I'd have to believe that he's managing with his gut. And I don't believe that that's the case. I think he's, 
the strings are being pulled by analytics and, and by the front office and, and that maybe he's getting a little bit, he's the easy scapegoat and maybe he's getting a little bit too much heat from, from fans at this point. Yeah, you could certainly agree with that when it comes to his bullpen. Charlie Montoyo, much like Dominique Ducharme, wants more, more, more. Uh, let's talk a little bit as we chat with our friend Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun, the Blue Jays columnist. Let's talk a little bit more about the rotation and some of the issues they face there. I mean, Ryu has had a couple of bouncy starts let's call them over his last three or four and i mean you look at guys like stripling that have at times performed well but the story there right now is robbie ray who has become a real gem for this team he has gone far above and beyond i think what most fans and probably the team themselves thought that he could give them i mean i know they were confident because they wanted to bring him back but man he has performed exceptionally well yeah that's a great point ryan i mean he's you could argue, I mean, you don't want to base a decision on just a handful of starts, but you could argue that he's emerging as the ace of that staff right now. Um, I mean, his, his strikeout to walk ratio is incredibly good. Um, and here's a guy who spent the most part of his last couple of seasons, like just throwing balls all the time. He walked way too many guys. He always had the stuff, but he didn't have the command. And somehow between the, some of the work that he's put in and, and the work that he's done with the uh, Blue Jays pitching coach Pete Walker, he's got that command back. And with the command comes the confidence. And now with that confidence, his fastball has got a little bit more velocity on it. And he's and he's he's found himself really in a groove. And you know, it dates back to to, to last summer when the, the Jays acquired him at the at the trade deadline. He, he was going to be a free agent in the offseason, became a free agent, but something clicked with 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 him, with Robbie Ray and the and the Jays at that point. I mean, he he improved some of his form in, in the short time that he was with the team the month or so last year. And he was the first free agent to sign. I mean, the Jays wanted him and he wanted to go back to the Jays. They both saw upside. I mean, Ray Ray figured that he could he was getting his form back because of what he had worked on with with the Jays staff. And the Jays said, hey man, for a one-year deal, this guy's gonna fit in our rotation and we see tremendous upside. Now did they see him being as as efficient and as as uh, lights out as he's been? Probably not. But I mean, you could really ask the question: Where would they be without Robbie Ray? Especially after what you've suggested, Ryan, that uh, that Ryu has has kind of wobbled a little bit over his last three or four starts, and and that's going to be a concern if that continues. You know, it's interesting. When's the last time the Jays had? not one but two good lefties in their lineup uh it's been it's been a while even and even one decent lefty yeah and they arguably have three if steven Matz can, can can you know sort of get some consistency to his game three lefties in a rotation i don't know what when, when that's ever been like when they've ever had three good lefties in their rotation it's been back to our youth uh clark he would probably be the answer to that jimmy key john Cerruti. well was Cerruti really a starter i guess he was but yeah, yeah, yeah. But who else i don't know I david don't wells yeah Boomer, but- yeah yeah. No, it's it has- it's interesting, and and you know when you look at uh, the pitchers, they have pitch counts. Um, are they going to keep riding these pitch counts? Like it, it was tough on Stripling on Wednesday night because he was yeah. doing well, and they brought Sanchez in as a pinch hitter, and and people say, oh, he should have gone to the bullpen. Well, there's no bullpen to go to, uh, and Sanchez got the better of him. But like, when do you start tossing pitch counts out the window? Well, you know, they've kind of become a little bit more liberal in their approach to that this year. I mean, we're seeing guys at least get into the high 80s and usually in the 90s and, and, a, and a couple of times up into the into the triple digits, which we never saw last year. I mean, we only saw one one starter, one start get to seven innings all of last season. You know, circumstances were a little different with, with the shortened COVID season and all that. But now we've seen, like, I think probably a dozen uh, Blue Jays starts get into the seventh inning. So... They're becoming a little bit more liberal with those with those uh, with those pitch counts, and and maybe that's a function of the fact that there there aren't enough reliable arms in the bullpen. I mean, it's almost like you know, get, getting back to the way that Montoya was handling things. Now it's almost like there is a bit of a desperation there because um, there is zero confidence in in too many arms in that bullpen. So that being the case, as long as as long as the pitcher is feeling good and his velocity is still up. Why not let him get to 96, 97, 102 pitches if he's if he's still feeling strong? If that buys you one less inning of having to go to that bullpen and and one less arm on a night out of that bullpen, then you're you're going to be better served, especially when things are starting to be a little bit dodgy like they've been over the last uh, the last couple of weeks. 
Maybe they're dodgy because they don't have sticky stuff on the ball anymore. Ryan, do you want to set this up? Go ahead. Well, I, I, before we, before we start talking about spider tack, I, I want to throw three names at you, Rob, that I, that I wrote down, uh, some guys that are listed and have been listed on most people's, including MLB.com's, uh, high trade list. Uh, and, I know you said that the Jays, and, and we've heard this, and we've heard Ross Atkins say as much that they don't want to make a rash trade. And we all know about their, you know, high end prospects. They've got the number five rated uh, farm system in Major League Baseball. Uh, but if this team is talented enough offensively, which I think we can all say they are, and that's remember without George Springer, albeit one game and one home run. Um, yeah. Why would they not be aggressive with some of their prospects? Maybe I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, the Austin Martins of the world, but why would they not be aggressive with guys like Miguel Geraldo or Jordan Groshans, who much like Martin, their prime position is shortstop. And if Bo is the guy who's in his early twenties and you got Vlad in his early twenties, Biggio, if this is the core, why not get aggressive and potentially go after some of these guys? I, I want you to put your GM hat on and, and give, me the likelihood of a deal you'd maybe make to acquire one of these three i've got richard rodriguez who's a reliever with the pirates he's extremely high on trade bait lists got a great slider it plays really well high whiff rate on that pitch kyle gibson who's a starter that's had a surprisingly great year for the moribund texas rangers who can't seem to win games at all but gibson seems to win every time he gets on the hill and yimmy garcia more veteran guy with the marlins who's got extremely high velocity and a really really scary sinker um of those three who would you target for the jays to go after one of them's a starter of course who would you maybe go after and what would a price look like yeah i would say of those three the one that maybe intrigues me the most would be rodriguez and uh for, for a couple of reasons like you said he's he seems to be an emerging guy uh as, as a reliever and a guy who, who's, who's got some versatility to him but but also on a on a Pirates team that's going to be willing to uh, to move at the trade deadline, and the Jays also have a good relationship with the front office there. Ben Charrington, who's the general manager of the Pirates, was uh, in in the front office of uh, the Blue Jays just as, as recently as last year. So so I he, I would I wouldn't be surprised if he's a, he's a player that they look at seriously. And, and to the larger point, I mean, you make a great point because um, as reluctant as this. Uh, front office, the Jays front office is to part with uh, uh, the, the, their future. Um, I think you have to evaluate it from a different different perspective as well. I mean, right now we're we're coming up to the midpoint of year two of a, a four year deal for Yunjin Ryu. So, do you want to waste two full years of four years at eighty million? You're coming up now. I I, I understand that Springer hasn't played yet. He's played four games, but he's going to be a factor with this team at some point one year of, of the six. Do you want to waste one of those big money six years to have a middling team that is, isn't going to be able to compete because their bullpen isn't deep enough? So yeah, the, the heat's really, really going to be on uh, uh, Ross Atkins c- come trade deadline. And you'd like to see him get a little bit of Alex Anthopoulos in him. Maybe not to the extreme because Anthopoulos did tend to leave the cupboards bare when when he, when he when it was go mode, when it was green light mode to, to try to have uh, a playoff contender. But when you've got this young core and you don't want them to get frustrated, and when you you put out the money for a starting pitcher and a superstar outfielder, you better take advantage of that, of that for as many years as you can because all of those guys aren't going to be around forever. And, and they're getting pretty close to now time, if not this year, next year. So, I mean, the American League East, nobody's going to fold over in this in, in this division. So you you literally have to do something by the trade. And the other thing it drives me crazy, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, Everybody says, well, now they're coming up to the easy part of the schedule. They still have 19 games against the Orioles. Well, you know what? <laughs> they're not going to win 19 from the Orioles. I'm sorry. As bad as the Orioles are, you still have to find a way to get 27 outs every night against a, a Major League Baseball team. So while they're, li- while they're likely going to have a bit of a break, I mean, there's, there's a lot of distance between them and not only first place in the American League East, but, but the, the uh, two wildcard spots. So... Um, trade deadline is going to be a very important time for this front office back to the original point. And if they don't get some serious relie- reliever help at that, at that time, um, you know, it's going to be a wasted season. I absolutely agree. Don't tell Trey Mancini that the, or- the Orioles are, uh, easy yeah. to beat. That's for sure. Uh, all right. Like Clarkie mentioned before I, I tossed those names your way, Rob, 
let's talk about sticky stuff. Now, this has been a this has been a conversation throughout the entirety of baseball history. Like pitchers have been doing stuff to the ball, scuffing it with mud, scraping it with sandpaper, all, all kinds of stuff, taking a tack to it. Um, but now it seems more than ever since the stat cast era came into effect that in, and we can measure things very accurately like RPM and spin rate that it's become so much more pronounced. And uh, the evidence is clear. I mean, the pitchers that throw stuff at higher RPM, whether it's a fastball or especially breaking balls, they're just more effective and they're getting paid more and they're winning more and they're having an effect on games more. What is your opinion on the MLB's stance on this? Introducing essentially new rules and how the rules going to be enforced midway through the season, which Tyler Glasnow recently took issue with and just the situation overall, what do you make of all this? Yeah, it's 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 a mess, and it's a mess created by baseball at, at multiple levels. Um, I mean, you mentioned the RPMs that come from having the good sticky stuff. You hear stories now that uh, GMs and agents, when they're negotiating contracts for a pitcher, the most important number isn't wins or losses or even ERA, it's RPM. So um, that's how crazy it's become. Now, I, I, I'm of the belief that baseball had to do something. Um Yes, it's been going on forever. There's always been foreign substances that have helped players get get a grip on a baseball. And and I suppose there's a valid argument that, that some of that is needed. That I mean, these baseballs are shiny and slippery, and you do have to have a certain level of grip on a baseball to be effective. But it was getting out of control. I mean, guys were using, like, high-tech stuff and, and ridiculously sticky stuff. And, I mean, that's where these big RPMs were coming from. And it, it was creating a an unlevel playing field because the guys who were using the stickiest stuff and the most high-tech stuff were having a clear advantage and the commissioner's office had to step in and, and, and do something. I'm just not convinced that they've done it the right way. Um, some of the pick, the pitchers are really upset about it now because they feel that, uh, that to do this in the mid, mid, in, you know, mid season is, is causing issues with the way they throw and that's too bad. Injuries, blah, blah, blah. Um, so they had to do something, but, but I'm not so sure they handled it the right way. But they just sound like a bunch of whiners to me. And like, you know, there's been a rosin bag on the back of the mound for yeah. as long as I can remember. I know that's supposed to dry your hand, but it has a little tackiness to it too. Yeah. So I, I just find these guys really a, a bunch of whiners. And they, you're right. It's It sucks. The timing sucks. But like, just suck it up and, and move on. That's my opinion. Well, well, they're part of the problem because they 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 push yeah. the envelope too far, right? And right. eventually, baseball had to step in and do something. So yeah. it's hard to have a whole lot of sympathy with any of these uh, more vocal pitchers that have been using the the really high tech, tech uh, sticky stuff. So yeah, yeah, they they're coming across as whiners, and it'll be interesting to see um, if if they reach a middle ground. I mean, uh, the commissioner's office seems to be pretty firm with their stance, so mm -hmm. I don't think they're going to change. Yeah, it's a fair point, and I mean, I, I'm sure everybody in baseball and most baseball fans are are aware of the little mini rant Tyler Glasnow went on the other day about him getting injured, and of course, he's you know one decision away from having Tommy sure. John, which is which is unfortunate because I like I love Tyler Glasnow, but then you see Garrett Cole. I mean, he had that weird exchange with reporters in New York the other day where someone blatantly asked him if he ever used it and he essentially danced around it for two minutes, meaning yes. Yeah. And uh, He misremembers. He misremembers, yeah. That'll be at the Supreme Court in 10 years. Yeah, it, it's weird because when you look at stuff like that, like I'm, I'm all for... I'm all for, and Trevor Bauer just put a video out today and he's been one of the most outspoken guys on sticky stuff and, you know, basically told the MLB about this a couple of years ago and they ignored him. Uh, and now look at what he's doing. And, and Rob, you mentioned, you know, in, in chatting with GMs and agents, many people out there, including very, you know, dedicated baseball sources think that. Part of the reason Bauer got the single highest pay grade uh, of anyone in baseball history from the Dodgers, part of it was because he has a substance that they wanted access to. Not just that he's a good pitcher. He is a good pitcher, but yeah. there are a lot of people that believe that. That's why he's making that $40 million. Um, But when you look at this situation, he, he basically said, you can't just completely take away sticky stuff altogether. Major League Baseball needs to come up with a a product of the, of its own 
that is legalized that everybody has access to. And of course, the rosin bags out there and everything. What's your opinion on that? And 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 how can they go about actually enforcing this? And how much does this fall on the umpires? Yeah, I guess that's probably the biggest issue with with the timing of the, of all of this because you know, in theory, that is the, the the proper solution: finding a uniform substance that that everybody can use, and then find a way to enforce it, whether it's umpires or whether it's a a random check in the dugout after after each inning by by another official of baseball. But to come and implement that uh, 60, 70 games into a season, um, it's you know, if the pitchers, if the disgruntled pitchers do have a legitimate gripe it's it's in that it's like how do we change what we're doing in mid-season um and then but m- more to the point how do you enforce it and how do you get a uniform substance at this point i mean to go from all to go from all to nothing uh 70 games into a baseball season i i think you're sort of asking or you're creating a, a bigger mess than you had arguably and perhaps it was some it's something that they maybe should have uh, uh left for this off season and and then and come up with a really thorough plan top to bottom both the implement whatever you're going to implement and and at least as importantly find a way to enforce uh enforce what those substances might be and then you have a consistency from uh, across baseball and i think that's the goal of what mlb is trying to do right now but it's uh it's pretty hard to to create that level playing field in the middle of a season yeah i just don't understand how this is hard i mean they already own rawlings and took over creating and making and manufacturing the baseball why can they not come up with a substance that everybody is satisfied with and you're right i mean the memo they put out the other day essentially says if you're caught with a foreign substance based on what the umpires deem a foreign substance it's it's 10 games and uh 10 days rather right. two so games a, so a pitcher had missed two starter. starts essentially yeah, right yeah, or a bullpen yeah. guy whatever you yeah, want to draw on the bullpen as. guys for sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, it, it's just bizarre because you look at some of this stuff like spider tack, like that stuff definitely has to go. I mean, yeah. it, you read up about it. It was created. So weightlifters could lift Atlas stones. And yeah. for our viewers and listeners that don't know what an Atlas stone is, it's a gigantic round boulder that weighs anywhere from four to 600 pounds and weightlifters lift them up onto a shelf. Basically well, just Google it and you can see yeah. we talked about it last week, the guy with the cinder block holding yeah. it like that. It's hilarious. It. Like the, the stuff is, uh, the stuff's incredible. It's and weird. That's the motivation from MLB. I mean, it's like, come on guys. You know, yeah. we let you do, we've let you use six, uh, sticky stuff forever, but now you're bringing in this Atlas stuff. Come on. Do you remember well, last, was it last year? The, where the pitch came in, it just stuck to the catcher's chest yeah. protector. That <laughs> was, that was a couple of years ago. That was Yaddy like, Molina. And, yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. yeah, it's, anyway. uh, Hey, it's, can I talk? Ryan, I just want to talk something about dear to my heart. Are we uh, any closer to robotic uh, umpires, at least for balls and strikes? Man, I don't know. I mean, they... Uh, it's not they, getting any better. No, it's not. And, you know, um, MLB continues to uh, experiment with it at the lower levels of, of minor pro ball, and which makes you, makes you wonder if maybe it is coming. But, you know, that, now that you have that strikeout box or the K box that they call it on on every every broadcast, it's just... It's bad for the umpires because, I mean, we see how many pitches a night do we see that not only are just outside of the corner of that box, sometimes they're a foot and a half out. And it's, um, you know, it's they're really being umpires are home plate umpires are really being exposed as as inaccurate. Um, Even Mm -hmm. some of the good ones miss those calls. And and with the technology there um, can and, you know, with the, the other part about that is the proliferation an explosion of, of uh, sports gambling. I mean, eventually, mm-hmm. eventually MLB is going to be, be held to the fire that way. And they're going to have to be um, more consistent and, and more accurate. And, and the technology is there and the technology is being experimented with. So, you know, how much longer can it be before we, for, before the, uh, the home plate uh, balls and strikes at least are, are being called uh, electronically. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Rob, actually, because I've I've come to a point now where I'm fully on Clarkie's team here. I think that robot umps to some degree, at least in terms of balls and strikes, absolutely at some point needs to come into the game. But I'm glad that you, you brought up that it's almost unfair for the umpires. And to me, this goes back to the sticky stuff conversation we just had. If you look at 
uh, I'm sure lots of baseball fans out there follow Pitching Ninja on Twitter. If you don't, it's an amazing account. Rob does a great job. But if you look at some of the pitches that are being thrown today, Devin Williams airbender, and I'm not saying Devin cheats. I'm not accusing him or Blake Trinan's turbo sinker. If you look at the way some of these pitches move, I couldn't call them balls or strikes like the breaking stuff that guys are throwing. Now we're seeing pitches that have never been seen before in baseball history. And I am convinced sticky stuff is playing a, a huge factor in that. So it's definitely something that the, uh, the MLB needs to sort out. It all goes hand in hand. Uh, Rob, I, I would just like uh, to pick your brain a little bit before we let you go on the all-star break. Obviously we're a little less than a month away from all-star, but uh, are there any guys in your estimation? that you've been watching all year that are absolute locks i'm not saying name the whole roster or anything but are there four or five guys that you've watched that absolutely need to be starters at the all-star game hey i think i mean you you know for the purpose of our conversation in a lot of ways you gotta you gotta look at the two big guns on the blue jays right now Vlad Guerrero jr and uh, marcus Semien. i don't know how you could keep either of those uh, those two guys out of it out of the starting lineup um and it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see if if Guerrero goes in the home run derby. He said he, he talked about it. He was asked about it the other day, and he kind of waffled. He said, "Yeah, I'm 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 thinking about it, leaning more towards yes." But can you imagine that dude uh, hitting home runs at Coors Field in a home run derby? Like it would like it would be just as as amazing as the show was in Cleveland two years ago. I mean, that thing would be off the charts. But those are the I mean those are the, I mean those are the two guys that really come to mind to me. I haven't really. I couldn't really give you a, a, a long list of names around baseball, but I think, you know, from the teams that I've been following, those two Jays definitely have to be on it. I completely agree. Those guys got to be starters. You look around the league, DeGrom's, you know, the Otanis of the world. I think that we'll definitely see them starting uh, in the all-star break. And yeah, I want to see Vlad crushing 480 foot bombs at Coors Field. It would be uh, pretty entertaining. He is Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun, Blue Jays beat reporter. We really appreciate you joining us again, buddy. It's always great to talk ball with you. Always fun. We'll do it again, guys. Thanks. All right, we'll take a quick break here on MWO Sports. When we come back, there's lots to talk about in the NHL world, including, uh, well, Clarkie's best buddy, Billy Idol, uh, Dominique Ducharme and the Montreal Canadiens, and, of course, the other series involving Tampa and the Islanders. Things are heating up as we look for our combatants for the Stanley Cup Final. We'll talk about that next year on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. Ryan Drury alongside Clarky and Steve Sabarin. Still, we appreciate our friend Rob Longley of the Toronto Sun, Blue Jays beat reporter, for joining us to have a great chat about ball and all things Blue Jays and sticky stuff and all that great stuff. Uh, let's talk, speaking of, of sticky stuff, let's talk about the NHL, guys, really quickly before we start talking playoffs. Uh Pretty inflammatory article came out today from Rick Westhead of TSN uh, regarding the Chicago Blackhawks. Boy, they are uh, in the spotlight for a lot of uh, not great reasons. Uh, two former players uh, alleged back in 2010 on their cup run that their video coach at the time uh, sexually assaulted two players. Uh, one of the training staff was aware of it, allegedly brought it forward to Blackhawks management. That would be Stan Bowman and, you know, Scott McDonough at the time. Um, and they allegedly, according to this report, refused to file a police report on the players' behalfs. Now, Again, this is uh, there's a lot of he said, she said going on in, in this story. I encourage everybody to go read it, but uh, not a banner day. Uh, for the NHL and the Chicago Blackhawks organization, I, I have a funny feeling there are going to be some uh, serious consequences from the fallout of this. Um, the two former players uh, were not named uh, at their request, but uh, there is a lawsuit filed. And basically the Blackhawks stance is they are trying to get the case thrown out based on the state of Illinois statute of limitations law, which... Um, 
wow, that really sh shines a light on it. Then, it, you know, <laughs> oh, it, 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 it's we did our investigation. Nothing happened. It's oh, there's a statute of limitations. Like, come on, give your head a shake. It's, um, it's, how many times in luck. sports have we seen this come out? Like, I mean, this is a serious issue. I mean, and psychologically, people just don't come out 10 minutes later and say, hey, this happened. You know, it is a dramatic effect on the psychology and emotion uh, status of a person. Um, and like, come on, you got to be better than this. You got to be better. Yeah. Uh, whether they get this thrown out based on that statute of limitations law, which uh, guys, I, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an expert on Illinois state law, but in the court of public opinion, which is, you know, very loud. Um, and especially on this, these issues should be, uh, it's not a great look for the Blackhawks and, and the NHL needs to do a thorough investigation here. And if, if they determine that Stan Bowman or his upper echelon staff, within the Blackhawks did know about this and did nothing. I'm of the opinion that they should all be banned for life. They should probably have their names removed three times from the Stanley cup. Um, I think that there should be a serious, serious punishment here, including lifetime bans from hockey at any level. If the NHL can do an investigation and prove that some of these allegations are true, boy, they have got to throw the book at somebody for this. Uh, this is not a good look for the NHL, especially. And after, and after all the sport has been through, like, yeah. you know, this past week, Sheldon Kennedy was uh, given the uh, Order of Hockey Canada for his work yeah. uh, because of what, uh, you know, he went through and then bringing things forward. I mean, you had Theo Fleury write his book, uh, you know, the issue with what happened back in Maple Leaf Gardens. Um it just goes on and on and on and really disappointing that allegations like this still keep coming up. And, and it's uh, unfortunately, and from the NHL's perspective, they are probably in full panic mode at the head office in New York because we're around the corner from their marquee event, the Stanley cup final. And this is what's blowing up right now and is the dominant story in the sport uh, today as we record this. And um, they need to do an investigation and figure this all out. All right, guys, let's talk about some hockey and uh, Clarky, your buddy, Billy Idol. I, I like, uh, I like your little reference there. Uh, Dominique <laughs> Ducharme of the Montreal Canadiens. They tie up the series uh, with Vegas. Montreal's now 8-1 and one when they score first in these playoffs, uh, which I'm sure is another dagger in your Leaf fandom. Um, your guys' impression of how that series has played out so far, because Vegas, they could have won game one 8-1. Like, Carey Price made some <clears throat> unbelievable saves. And then they bounce back with your typical Montreal performance and stifle Vegas's best players, and Carey Price is laughing and winking on the ice. Your impression of that series so far, Clarky? What do you think about your Montreal Canadiens? Okay, never, ever, <laughs> ever repeat that, Ryan Drury. Ever, but ever Clarkie say that again. The show. Here's the deal. I cannot figure it out. I still don't think they're a good hockey team. I think they're clutching and Clarky. grabbing and protecting and protecting a lead and playing one four um, along their blue line. And like they're not that good. How do they do it, Ryan? Steve, I don't know. I wish I could get the magic formula and put it into the dang Maple Leafs because they seem to just do it time after time when you don't think they are. Like, you can't tell me that the Leafs have more talent, they don't have more talent than the Montreal Canadiens. However, they're working harder and they're checking them into the ground. And it's boring, and, but that's just the way they're going to win. It just, I don't know. I don't get it. I'm, I'm pissed off and I just don't <laughs> like it. <laughs> I think may, I think maybe you know what it is, Clarky. Maybe they're just watching loops of inspirational movie speeches. Maybe they're just watching Al Pacino's Any Given Sunday speech before they hit the ice. Steve, the Leafs were up three games to one. I know, Clarky. That's and ancient it history was now, brother. Pretty much over, as uh -huh. everyone thought. And then one bad overtime giveaway, and then another one, and then now they're like. They, if this team goes to the Stanley Cup Finals and if they win a game or two, I'm, I'm, I'm not turning my TV on. Clarky's gonna be in a dark place. Pretty. I will be. I guarantee I will be.
Steve, your thoughts? Well, it, you know, sometimes it just, you, you have it. They have a game plan. They execute it very well. Um, it, yes, they were sluggish in game one, but you got to remember they came off a four game sweep of Winnipeg. They had a lot of time to rest and uh, yeah, maybe well, didn't but, have but, lakes, but, you know, but Steve, Winnipeg had the same when they started against Montreal. And they, you know, they didn't win a game, so. No, and, and Montreal got their legs back, and they stuck to their game plan. Um, you know, it, just watching part of the game the other night, uh, game two, um, it looked a lot like Montreal versus Vegas, or uh, Montreal versus Toronto, where uh, Montreal would, you know, hem Vegas in for a little bit, and then Vegas would break it out on a three on two, and then Montreal would go back to work the offensive end for a couple of more minutes. It's not and right. Vegas would try to fast break. It's um, not right. It's just not right. Toronto's on the sidelines. Edmonton's on the sidelines. Colorado's on the sidelines. All teams with way more talent than these guys. It's not right. We need uh, an investigation. Uh, but maybe uh, well. that, that's part of the part of the. They're you know they're. I know it's the only way they can play. Everybody's telling them that you're not good enough. You're not good enough. Well, we're good enough. You know what? There was a team uh, in the past called New Jersey that had a great goaltender and they won a couple of cups. Boring hockey as well. And you know what? Maybe it'll sink into the guys who now Leaf fans are saying they're not good enough. Like number 16. I I really would love to see what happens with all this, uh, how it's going to shake out. Zach Hyman. um, I don't think he's coming back. They've re-signed Spezza, which I like. League minimum. He's the kind of guy you need in my my On your fourth line. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, except he was one of the better players in the playoffs, which is a, which is a sign of trouble when he is, but you know, is, is he coming back? Freddie's gone. I would think, I don't know what they'll do for their backup goaltender, but I think it's Jack Campbell's team now, Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. See how I just segued into the league. Yeah. So back to teams that are in the playoffs and actually playing important (laughs) hockey right now. Let's look at Islanders Tampa, man. That's been entertaining as well. Uh, That Islanders team, you just can't count them out. Anders Lee, their captain taking line rushes with the reserve players uh, yesterday, looking really good. If they make the cup final, small potential he comes back from a really bad knee injury that should have knocked him out for the the year at least i thought it did uh but there he is taking line rushes but the game so far tampa bay uh they got a little shell shocked in game one and found out a little bit about what uh, barry trot's hockey is all about but they bounced back in game two uh you know which included more awful officiating i mean there were way too many men on the ice for a goal Braden point got called for goalie interference for getting cross-checked into the goalie i cannot stand the way that referees interpret that call it is terrible garbage terrible call it's garbage, but the hockey's been really entertaining. Steve, I'll start with you this time because I don't want to hear about how it affects the Maple Leafs. Uh, what are what are your well, you know it, you know the Islanders uh, in their what uh, number of playoff series while their former captain is uh, off somewhere else. Anyway, oh, no. the uh, <laughs> um, I think the Lightning ha- ha- have this series uh, again. First game, feeling out your opponent. Um, I think the Lightning will uh, continue to step about, step it up. They'll take it in six, um, and uh, they'll face Montreal in the Stanley Cup final. Oh, God. oh no! <laughs> I, I'm not even going to ask Clarky what he thinks of the series. I don't no, want... why not? Hey, okay, go ahead, Clarky. Just think of this, okay? I'm cutting you if off if you mention the Maple Leafs. If everything had have gone the way it should have gone, no, Tampa would have been playing the Maple Leafs right now. Oh my! And God. it would have been exciting. Hockey, not one team trying to shut down another team. It would have been back and forth, 6-4, Lots of goals, lots of action. But no, we watch. Or just 7-1 or just seven one for Tampa because Toronto can't defend. But yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I completely agree with your sentiment, Clarkie. The NHL should investigate this and they should redo the playoffs yes. and uh, and have the Maple Leafs here. Absolutely, buddy. Okay, we'll take a quick break here. <laughs> Thank you for your expert analysis, Clarkie, on Billy Idol and the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, <laughs> Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll end the show, as always, by chatting with our wagering expert from CoolBet, Chris Abbott, here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co. This is MWO Sports.
Back to wrap things up here on MWO Sports, brought to you by CoolBet.co, Ryan Drury, alongside Clarky, and of course, our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. Abbott, how you doing, brother? Um, I, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm a little bit nervous about this group stage at the Euro. Uh, we are we are taking significant losses for the first, through the first 18 matches. Um, I'm sure it'll turn around. It generally does. Uh, Las Vegas and other sports books uh, certainly don't uh, exist on people winning money. But uh, for a short period in time, like this week so far, um, 15 of the 18 matches have gone against us. Um, so we're in a we're in a serious deficit position uh, on this tournament, and it'll be interesting to see if we can climb our way back out of it. I apologize, sir. I am responsible for decent chunks of some of that. And uh, I'll toot my own horn a little bit, and uh, I will be keeping my picks to myself to help you out, buddy. So I, I won't, I won't give my friends any more tips and tricks. So Clarky, don't ask me. Um, all right, what, what, what were you guys talking about? Sorry. Oh, good soccer. Grief. Yeah, move on. Okay, let's uh, quickly review uh, our picks now. Abbott, Pat. Our good friend Pat Gregoire represented Coolbet in picking our Stanley Cup semifinal picks. I know producer Adam's got them ready here for our viewers. So we all submitted our picks before the round started. Uh, let's talk Golden Knights, Canadians. I have Vegas in five. Clarky had them sweeping, so he's already wrong. No, I'm Sorry, fine. No. And uh, Steve had Montreal in six. Pat from Coolbet had Vegas in five, like myself. Adam, producer Adam, took Montreal in seven uh so far what do you think of those picks uh there abbott and what would you have picked yeah i would have picked vegas in five or six as well um and i still think that's what's going to happen um mm -hmm. you know they were outstanding in game one and then you know the thing with this montreal team that we've obviously learned already is you can't rest on your laurels against them they they won't let you so um you know if they if vegas wasn't ready to go when the puck dropped in game two uh we saw what happened but um, ultimately, I think, yeah, it's going to be five or six games. This will be done. He is on the record. All right, let's talk about uh, our Lightning and Islanders picks as well that we all submitted before the round started. Uh, and uh, I took Tampa in seven. I think that that's going to happen. I think Barry will give them a war, but the defending champs will get by. We all took Tampa. Clarkie had Tampa in seven. Steve had Tampa in five. Pat took Tampa in six. Adam took Tampa in five uh, Abbott, some pretty, uh, uh, you know, interesting picks. They're not really giving the aisles much credit. Well, yeah, I mean, Tampa should win this series. I do see it going six or seven games, but I wouldn't be shocked if the New York Islanders are playing for the Stanley cup this year. Wouldn't be shocked at all. I wouldn't be shocked either, my friend. It would be pretty interesting, and they're a fun team to watch. And, hey, Barry Trotz always has a special place in my heart as a Caps fan. Still can't believe they let him walk and didn't sign him after winning a Stanley Cup, one of the dumbest ownership decisions of all time. Let's talk about good decisions in terms of betting this weekend. I know you're already getting kicked a little bit with the Euro picks on cool bet, but if there were some hot bets to pay attention to this weekend, there's plenty to bet on Chris U S uh, open US, too. We need to talk about that. We got to talk U S open our buddy, Corey Connors having a, a bit of an up and down round, but U S opens on NHL and NBA playoffs continue. What are some things people should maybe pay attention to and key in on my friend? Well, you talk about the U.S. Open. I think a lot of people get, um, you know, really excited about their pre-tournament bets and, and see what happens, you know, throughout four rounds. But, hey, after a couple of rounds, you can still bet. You can bet, you know, all the way up into the final round and, and during the final round. So there's going to be opportunities for guys who maybe don't have the best first couple of rounds but still make the cut and maybe are in the top 10 or 15 who might put a push on on the weekend. So if there's anybody you like before the tournament, um, take a closer look at their odds on Saturday morning and see where they're sitting and uh, you might be able to grab some value out of that. Absolutely. I mean, the U.S. Open, it's always fun to watch. I will throw out a hot bet for people, maybe for my my gearheads out there. Uh, last time we had our buddy Pat Gregoire on, we were uh, chatting a little bit about my recent good call on an F1 race at Monaco. I took Max Verstappen to win. He was keying in on uh, multi-champion Lewis Hamilton. French Grand Prix this weekend. Take my boy Max Verstappen to win at Circuit Paul Ricard. Take Sebastian Vettel to finish top five and take Daniel Ricardo to finish top five as well. He always does well at the French Grand Prix. That would be my suggestion. I don't know if you have any thoughts to offer on that, Chris. 
Well, Sebastian Vettel is the guy we've forgotten all about. You know, he was yes. two with Lewis Hamilton for years and years. And yeah, I'm looking at him uh, at Coolbit now, top six plus 500. So top 10 minus 118, which, uh, you know, it, it, obviously he's not with the with the big team anymore. And that makes a difference. But um, I will go back to the well on Lewis Hamilton. He's plus 110 uh, as we're speaking right now. Uh, he's had a couple of bad weeks. That doesn't fly for him and Mercedes, so I'd look for him to get right back to the to the top of the podium or at least on the podium uh, here this weekend. It wouldn't shock me, but I cannot go against my boy Max Verstappen and Team Red Bull. So take it for what it's worth. Uh, I have been I have been winning little chunks of money here and there, folks. So sometimes I have okay advice, just not as good as our buddy Chris from Cool Bet. All right, Abbott, we really appreciate it, brother. All right, thanks so much for having me on, guys. I'll talk to you next week. Absolutely. All right, guys. Remember, you can listen to this show Friday nights at six on CKNX AM 920 CKNX.ca. Find us on social media at MWO underscore sports. Watch the show Friday nights at eight, Sunday nights at nine with our friends on Whiteman TV. And remember, we debut on YouTube Friday nights at 9 p.m. And remember, CKNX carrying all the Blue Jays games for the rest of the season. For myself, Ryan Drury, Clarky, Steve Sabrin, our guest, Rob Longley from the Toronto Sun and our wagering expert, Chris Abbott from CoolBet. We appreciate you listening to and watching MWO Sports brought to you by CoolBet.co. Let's go, Golden Knights. Let's go.